Hey, welcome back to the Writer Show podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Hughes. How do you listen to the show? Walking, riding on the bus, staring out the window, painting, cooking? However you enjoy listening to the Writer Show, I just want to thank you once again for letting me back into your head to continue the conversation with writers and songwriters about the art and business of writing. Today, we're talking to visual effects artist and author Vicky Lau. In her book, Why I Do VFX, Vicky writes about what it's like to work behind the scenes as a Hollywood VFX artist. From the city of Singapore to working on over 20 Hollywood blockbuster films and TV series, such as Walking Dead, Guardians of the Galaxy, Aquaman and War for the Planet of the Apes, Vicky has written one of the first books of its kind about the visual effects industry. It's a unique blend of self-help, career strategy and memoir. Let's roll the interview. Okay, uh, Vicky Lau, welcome to the show. And congratulations on why I do visual effects. The, the golden thread that seems to run through the book is what do you really want and are you suited for this ambition? Was that a deliberate tactic when you started writing the book? Um, good question. So um, I guess in a way it was only 50% deliberate <laughs> because uh, I wrote it kind of um, as a cathartic way to you know get all my thoughts out about the industry, summarize my 10 years of experience, and it just kind of coincidentally culminated in that ending. Um, so it was 50% kind of plan and then the other part was while well, it conveniently kind of led to that point in the end anyway. So yes. You're, you also write about growing up in Singapore and finding self-expression through an old hand-me-down camcorder. Can, yes. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Um, so basically when I was younger, um, I mean, I'm still young, but when I was younger, um, you know, I was pretty quiet. I didn't have any friends. I was bullied. And because I was bullied, you know, people didn't want to associate with me. So at the age of 14, I was given that camcorder and it kind of became my voice, the voice that I felt at that time I didn't have. So um, I went around shooting clips of random stuff like birds and nature. And then the part that really spoke to me was when I was able to put all the footage together in post-production and kind of tell a story. So from there, I enjoyed video editing and that grew into visual effects. And that's the theme of your book about getting into uh, visual effects. And you, you write that one of the stupidest reasons for pursuing a career in VFX is saying that I like to watch movies. <laughs> uh, what, what's the best reason for getting into the industry? Ah, um, well, I I think there are various, you know, uh, there, there, definitely there's no one best reason. There are a lot of best reasons depending on who you are as a person. Um, I would say like perhaps a good example of uh, uh, kind of like one of the best reasons to get into visual effects is that you believe that it kind of ties in with what you want out of life. Like if you are fine creating something for somebody else not like that it's a bad thing it, it actually could be a good thing if you're totally 100 cool with that you're, you're okay just 
doing behind the scenes, you don't want to be in front of the camera, you don't want to get credit or, you know, in, in the way the directors do, then yes, uh, doing visual effects is great. If you just only enjoy the creative problem solving and the creative execution, and that's the only thing that you want to focus on. What joy do you get from being a VFX artist? Um, so I, um, okay, so it's still self-expression, you know, I still enjoy kind of, um, creating my own worlds. And, and I think if I kind of look deeper into that, it's because I get to create reality in a way that I want. Um, so it's, it's a little bit like virtual reality, uh, except for film. So for example, you know, if I wanted to do something I couldn't do in real world, I could do it in visual effects. If your skills are good enough, you can really kind of, control reality to the extent can you remember the first scene that you ever worked on as a vfx artist what was that like um let's see well i mean it depends if you're referring to the hollywood stuff or just my own like the very very first shot yeah the hollywood stuff i guess okay. your, your first first big project okay so i i suppose my first one would be um when i was working on walking dead i had another project before that on the second day of my internship at that studio, I believe it was from the TV show Dracula, NBC's Dracula. It was discontinued after, I think, one or two seasons. And the first, very first shot, let me try to recall. Oh, okay. So he was on the roof, the, the lead actor was on the roof and kind of jumping with his sword. So I believe I had to kind of um, do a rotoscoping, basically an outline of him to put him in front of a backdrop. And that was my very, very first shot um, on NBC's Dracula. That would have been a great feeling, getting that finished and seeing it as a completed bit of art. Yeah, um, it's funny because I actually never watched that show, but <laughs> I didn't see <laughs> I didn't see that shot, so yeah. Is there much of a difference working in visual effects for TV versus cinema? Yes, actually. So in, in uh, movies, it's definitely the timeline is longer. Uh, you also have longer time to work on shots, technically speaking, uh, compared to TV, which is, you know, always faster paced because the episodes are shorter, the turnaround time is also shorter. So everything is all contracted. And I kind of enjoy that part because I like fast paced things. I don't like, you know, when I have to sit on the problem for like um, maybe one week, which is, it bores me. So, so the pacing is different yeah. as well as the, yeah, the release schedule as well. I suppose there's a bigger budgets in a, a yeah. feature film as well. Yeah. Looking at your CV on your website before it's, it's like a short story. It's very impressive. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. What drives your ambition? Yeah. Huh. Um, Nobody actually asked me that question before, so I have to, <laughs> <laughs> I have to think about it. Well, um, okay, so in short, I would say definitely uh, self-expression that uh, that partially drives my ambition in the sense that, you know, I want to create my ideas. I want my ideas to come to life. I want my stories to be told. Everything is basically like, um, I love seeing something in my head come to life in the real world. Um, so that, so that to me is the self-expression part that drives my ambition. The other part of it is, um, well, and I don't normally share this, you know, publicly is self-actualization. So, you know, I believe <clears throat> we all could achieve our fullest potential if we give it a shot or if we at least push mm, ahead. Yeah. So most people are content 
being comfortable and sitting there and enjoying their life. Not like that's a bad thing. It's just their personality, right? For me, I want to see how far I can go as an individual and a human being in this life. So self-actualization and self-expression. Well, it's taking a, lo- a long way so far. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at um, VFX in general, there's been huge changes in visual effects over the past 50 years of cinema. Zooming in, what what's the biggest changes you've seen in your career? Definitely the integration with um, the game development industry. That's something that ah. I've seen and experienced. Yeah, so uh, when virtual reality was first starting out around early 2014, late 2013, uh, it was kind of like a separate thing and kind of game developers were the only ones that kind of concerned themselves with that. But what I noticed was there was a shift and I also kind of hinted at this in my TED talk and it became real. So yeah. Um, so what happened is that the game industry and virtual uh, visual effects worlds are kind of combining. They started using software of both sides that normally they wouldn't use for movies or for games. So I was like, huh, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, so definitely this shift is um, one of the biggest changes in visual effects today. I suppose it's, it's brought the cost down for television production too to have fairly sophisticated visual effects yeah. using some of the gaming platforms, I guess. Yeah. It seems inevitable that oh, we already are, but soon we'll be able to create photorealistic immersive worlds in VR, much like Spielberg's Ready Player One. Do you think VR will ultimately replace cinema as a vehicle for storytelling? Um, so I would say that there'll, there'll still be those traditional, um, uh, kind of like people who, who enjoy the traditional medium and want to go to cinema. Um, so I don't think it will entirely replace that, um, but the, it will have a different appeal. So there will be uh, those who just want to experience it classically and then those who want to go the new route and kind of do that virtual reality kind of, um, uh, immersion in comparison. So I think it just ha- will have a different appeal. Uh, I don't think it will replace cinemas entirely. Because uh, certainly COVID has affected the cinema industry and yeah. we're all working from home now, <laughs> I yeah. guess. Um, how has that affected you as a freelancer? Do you need to be in a studio to do this work or do you work partly at home? How, how does that work? Uh, good question. So it actually didn't, I mean, honestly, it didn't impact me that much um, at all, actually. So, so I still get you know, uh, contracts coming in. Of course, because I'm based in Singapore, you know, the chances of that kind of going through is very slim because they still want someone, even if it's remote, they still want someone within their time zone. Um, but that being said, uh, the visual effects industry is becoming more open to the concept of remote working. So, so technically, there's no difference Um in, in, what, in the, the amount of work I'm getting or like most visual effects artists are getting now compared to back then because now they're being more open about the concept of, okay, we should trust our employees. We should trust our artists. They're not going to spread the shot, whatever. So there you go. What skills does a VFX artist need to succeed? Um, definitely an eye for detail is one. I mean, of course, the technical skills in whatever specialty you're looking at. So for example, I'm a visual effects compositor. I need to know how to use the software Nuke. And also it'll be good to know other software like After Effects, stuff like that. Um, but an eye for detail is very important because you need to make sure that you didn't accidentally have a layer in After Effects turned on and then it ends up in the final shot and it's like oh what's this flashy random thing there but but yeah you're listening to the writer's show podcast 
You'll find more information on this and other episodes at thewritersshow.com. The VFX industry seems to draw endlessly on a, a pearl of talented young artists. Is, is there burnout in the VFX industry? What does the career path look like for anyone considering this as a career? career? Um, yes, for sure. There's definitely a burnout. Uh, I talk about this in the book, actually. So so uh, the visual effects industry loves young people because number one, they're usually naive. <laughs> and number two, uh, they don't really have a family yet. You know, usually they don't. And they don't have much other responsibilities, especially uh, after they yeah. graduate from school. Um, but but yeah, I believe people will will eventually at one point experience burnout. If you, and if and if they don't, that's a good thing, I suppose. Um, that means they really enjoy you know kind of being workaholics. But <laughs> um, but but yeah. How do you stop burnout? What's your secrets? Um, I I I'm trying to think of when I actually experienced burnout. I think the only time I did was in school, and so that doesn't count. Um. I don't think I've experienced burnout in that way that I yeah, I don't think I did in my career. But when I was in school or you know, when I did, you know, back in the younger days as a student, uh, how I kind of I guess the so-called secret is just to do something else. So for example, maybe if you're really tired of individual effects context, if you're tired of this shot or you're tired of working at a studio, you know, have a hobby that's outside of visual effects that's not related to anything having to do with a computer. And uh, yeah, it'll be a good kind of break away from that part of your reality before coming back into it. Because yeah, it seems to me it's an industry with a, a lot of screen time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Who inspired you to uh, begin a career in VFX? Is there a particular um, mentor or somebody that you looked up to to go down this path? So I actually, I'm one of those that I'm not, in, I don't have a human being that I'm inspired by. So the <laughs> only the, uh, the only reason I went down this path was because of my self-expression that I discovered this or visual effects discovered me. Um, and hence I used this channel as an outlet, which is the only reason why I pursued it. Um, I didn't have any mentors for, for visual effects or anyone that told me, hey, you should do this. Like even if they told me that, I probably kind of being that rebellious kid, I'll be like, oh, okay, no. So um, so no, I pursued visual effects because it was an outlet of expression for me. You've um, won the Win Trade Award for Women in Tech. Could you tell me a bit about that? Oh, yeah, uh, that was uh, pretty recent this year. So basically, okay, so um, I'm not sure why you want to know about it other than, well, it's an award for women in tech, uh, mainly for the business side. So it's a business, international business award, right? So I also teach online, um, I believe close to 90,000 uh, 90, um, students right now from 182 countries. Um, so that business, I believe, was what kind of led me to win this award. Um, so yes, and it's, it's a UK-based organization, uh, more about WinTrade. They are a women's network, um, kind of supporting women in business in different industries. It would have been very gratifying. Oh, yeah. Talking about the book, um, how long did it take you to write the book? What was your process? Um, so I was asked this question on a different show and I was like, I was debating whether I should tell the answer of how long it took to write it because from what I, I understand, um, some writers, they, you know, they take years and that's like a, a pride, a good thing to say, oh, I took like however, year, how many, however long years, but 
like if you say you took a very short amount of time, people might be thinking, okay, maybe the book's not so high quality. So let's just say uh, an, a rough estimate. Okay, the entire process is less than a year, including writing, publishing, everything. Yes. So you, you self-published? Yes. What did you learn from that process? Because it's... Uh... Quite, quite a subject of a podcast on its own. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and I actually learned, like, most of my uh, research actually involved that process instead. So visual effects for the book itself, like, I have no issues, um, you know, just writing it off from my mind and stuff like that. But um, self-publishing, yes, it's a huge giant topic and I did most of my research on that. And um, definitely, I, I, I learned a lot. I enjoyed it. It's my first book. Um, I, I, I tried to get as much information and details uh, about this process as I could. And there you go. So, yeah. No, it's, um, it seems to be going well. You've got some great re reviews on Amazon. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's uh, the holy grail for self-publishing. I know. It's very hard to get reviews. <laughs> I, was, I was speaking to a writer um, earlier in the week and their first book, I got 340 reviews in, oh, wow. in the first 12 months, yeah, just largely, and I asked how, just largely networking and asking. There you go. It's all, the book's also available on Audible. How was that process? Um, so that one's an interesting one because normally, you know, I'm very, I'm kind of a stickler on deadlines, just like a typical visual effects artist. Um, so I, I wanted the audiobook to come out with the print and the ebook, but that was not possible because I did not anticipate the audiobook production to kind of take so long. So yeah. I actually counted, um, I believe I spent just, and this is just me, uh, not the narrator's hours on the audiobook. Um, I believe I spent over uh, um, 300 plus hours on the audiobook process itself. So listening wow. to it, feedback, listening to it, feedback. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's very tedious. <laughs> so so it was worth it in the end, but super tedious. Did you also narrate the book? Um, no, it was, uh, I hired someone, Madison Bishop, and she's uh, really good, actually. Very, very, very good. That must be strange hearing your own words read back. Um, no, I'm, I'm kind of glad that it wasn't me reading it because of my, well, my weird neutral accent. So <laughs> it's better to have someone who is an American or Canadian or Australian or, you know, with the kind of westernized accent, reading it to the masses, they, they are more comfortable uh -huh. with that. So, so where does one find a uh, audible audiobook narrator? Um, so definitely there are those channels, which is like ACX, which is uh, part of Audible. So if you go on ACX, you can look up people who are working, either they split royalty with you or you can pay them by the hour, the per finish hour, or there's also the Find Away Voices, which is like a different platform that you can also use their kind of resources to search for narrators there. How do you like to relax when you're not solving visual puzzles on a screen? Um, I, I'm, I don't know, I'm very, I'm very always on the go. <laughs> but if I do <laughs> relax, I, I, I guess I suppose I like vacations like any normal person. Um, but more realistically, something I, I, I can do in the immediate is bodybuilding. Um, so, I mean, that doesn't sound relaxing, but it is to me. So, there you go. Well, I guess it's, uh, yeah, it's that's completely screen removed. So, yeah. how, how long have you been um, bodybuilding? Um, oh, man. Uh, Non-seriously, probably since 2018 or 19. That was non-seriously, but seriously, 
when I actually, you know, took it seriously and have a plan and stuff like that, probably around, oh man, when was it? 2000. Late 2019, around there. Well, it's a, a great diversion from, from your career, and I'm, I, I guess it would also keep you sane. Yes. <laughs> so what, what's next for Vicky Lau? Well, I'm kind of a, a fan of not sharing what's next until it's out, so <laughs> <laughs> I'll okay. say that. I'll say that. So no, no, no more books? Well, uh, one more at least, but that's, that's oh, all I'll say. Okay. <laughs> Okay, we'll we'll tease that one out. Well, Vicky, thank thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and it's been great to talk to you. Yeah, it was fun. That was Vicky Lau, author of Why I Do Visual Effects. You can find out more about Vicky on her website. LauVicky.com, L-A-U-V-I-C-K-I.com. For more info about the interview and links to all our other podcast episodes, visit our website, thewritersshow.com. The Writers Show podcast is produced by Madhouse Media Publishing. They can help you get your book published. Want to know how? Go to madhousemedia.com.au and organise a free pre-publishing meeting or just call them on 1-300-402-526. No obligation? Call now. That's it for the show. I'm Jeff Hughes. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.